Packers Daily with Jason Mertides. And welcome to your Friday, June 19th edition of Flyers Daily with Jason Martinez, brought to you by Yingling Traditional Lager. Spread your wings. Give them a follow on Twitter at Yingling Beer. If you could leave us a rating and review on this podcast, that would be great. Make sure you also subscribe to Flyers Daily, and the newest episode will be in your inbox or your queue whenever they come out. And we do them every Monday, Wednesday, Friday, this time of year. And as we get closer and closer, now just 21 days, three weeks away from Phase 3 protocol for the NHL, and that'll be the start of mandatory training camp. A lot of players making their way back to town for optional skates at the Flyers Skate Zone now. Some that aren't here doesn't mean they're not skating, probably skating in their home cities or wherever they're located, but as we get closer to that date, three weeks from today, we'll see players and more players coming into town uh, to join their teammates and uh, prepare uh, for what is going to be the uh, pickup of the paws and the COVID Cup as the playoffs will continue in the NHL and they'll culminate the 2019-20 season. Flyers, one of those top four seeds in the Eastern Conference. And uh, a big reason why they're one of those top four seeds in the Eastern Conference is the penalty kill and the improvement on the penalty kill. And coming up in just a couple moments, we're going to speak with Bill Meltzer. Wrote a great article on PhiladelphiaFlyers.com, a deep dive article into the Flyers' power play, the differences between this year and last year, what's worked, why it's worked, and the impact of that improved penalty kill for this hockey team and and what that's done for this team overall. You look at certain players like Kevin Hayes, who has four shorthanded goals. Obviously, he's a big part of it. Different system as well. Uh, So the PK, one of those things, and uh, that's been an improvement for the Flyers. A lot of areas of improvement, but that's one of the key ones uh, that has them just a point back of the Washington Capitals for the top spot in the Metropolitan Division of the Eastern Conference. So we'll talk to Bill in a moment. Also, Nicholas Albay-Kubel has come back to Philadelphia to work uh, on his game at the Flyers Skate Zone. He's begun uh, those informal skates with teammates there, and we'll hear his uh, uh, some remarks after practice on Thursday uh, as he is starting to prepare and get his game back in order for the return to play as well. So Nicholas Albay-Kubel uh, coming up in this episode as well. And we are now today, on this Friday, 100 days since the Flyers last played a game, and that was on March 10th against the Boston Bruins. And then uh, the first game that was postponed was that Thursday, March 12th, down in Tampa. Of course, the Flyers won nine of their last 10 games, but it's now been 100 days since the NHL went on pause, since the Flyers last played a game. Hard to believe it's been 100 days. The standard offseason for for teams, it would still have a little bit more left on it, but 100 days without hockey. So everybody, myself included, has got a big thirst for the game to come back, get back on the ice, and we see uh, players all over uh, North America doing exactly that, starting to join their practice facilities. So uh, we're ramping towards a date, which is now just three weeks away, so that's a great thing. Uh, But let's get to Bill Melcher right now. Wrote a great piece on PhiladelphiaFlyers.com. Regarding the uh, Flyers penalty kill, big improvement for the group this year. And he joins us right now. Bill, how you doing? Starting to you know count down the days. Uh, can see our way to the end of July here, or rather end of June and beginning of July. So uh, you know we're we're slowly but surely getting there. Yeah, 21 days, three weeks from today, mandatory training camp, more players trickling into town, including uh, Nicholas Albay-Kubel, who we're going to hear from uh, after your visit here, and a brief uh, talk with him with Zach Hill after he got off the ice. But good to see guys coming back into town. Coots is in town, and Kevin Hayes, who uh, we talked to in a previous episode, going to be coming into town at the end of this week. So uh, more guys going to be trickling in, so that's great to see. No, absolutely. It starts to feel more and more like, like camp is coming around rather than just you know, a few guys here and there working out on the ice. They they can feel it too, even if it's just small groups. There's a, you know, there's a feeling that builds. Uh, and, uh, you know, I, I mean, I, I remember Sean Couture was saying that, uh, you know, he's skated every day for the last two weeks. But, it you know, the it picks up an in intensity. It's kind of hard to 
kind of hard in small groups to stay out on the ice for as long. You're not standing around. You're trying to get, you know, make as efficient of use of your time as you can. Uh, it's not really typically what you would be doing, you know, even within 21 days of camp, you just make do the best you can. But the more and more guys that come in, you know, you start to feel that sense of urgency and camping around the corner. So that's all, you know, that's all what you want to see. Yeah, and when you get more guys into, you can start to put yourself into pseudo game situations in in those skates as well, uh, where you can work on regroups and, and those kind of things. And not that they're going to be doing any you know board battles at this point uh, with everything going on, but uh, you can certainly start to get uh, something that resembles the game of hockey, not just the skills of hockey, um, which will be an important thing as as they ramp up towards this. Hey, Bill, before we get to, to the great article that you wrote, I really enjoyed it. I know a lot of people on social media really enjoyed it as well. Um, but I, I want to talk real quick about what's going on in baseball, because f- for many years, what's going on in baseball was the NHL. And it's not the NHL. And the NBA has uh, handled their situation in return to play. And we saw the 113 page protocol that they put out, including proximity alarms and anonymous line uh, for people that uh, leave the bubble or violate the rules. Uh, and the NHL has done the same. And the one thing that the, the Major League Baseball has done, and it's the big mistake and where the NHL has made this mistake before, is kind of uh, lobbying or negotiating in public. And it's great to see that the NHL has not done that. No, absolutely. You know, when there would be uh, an announcement from one side or the other, that was strictly a you know negotiating front, uh, and they would put it out and, and put out an appearance as though uh, you know the other side was was agreed to it, and then the other side comes out and said, "Well, we didn't agree to any such thing." It's kind of you know <laughs> we're, no, we're nowhere close to any of that. Then then you get to the point where you know pretty much no news is exciting. It feels endlessly like there there's no progress, and even when you know even when there were were actual some you know some actual progress made. The two sides would be downplaying that there was any progress just because they, they want to hold on to whatever you know, negotiating points they have. I mean, as far as baseball goes, you know, I, I think they'll ultimately come to an agreement on, on a much shortened season, you know. And uh, unfortunately, a lot of what's being done is they're both sides are trying to, to lay groundwork for beyond the season and they're mm-hmm. fighting out over this and don't want to work together on it. And it's actually been very, very nice. I, I agree with you that the NHL and the Players Association have really worked together well on this. I mean, I hope it bodes well. I hope it's not just a situation of realizing, you know, we need to work together on this, and then we'll, you know, we'll fight, we'll fight a battle when we have to when it comes time to the next CBA. I hope it creates some momentum towards it because, as we've discussed on, on previous programs, the league, the league, the Players Association, the fans, everybody, everybody needs a, a long-term labor piece in the NHL to move everything forward. The last thing the league can have is another stoppage. You know, it's, yeah. uh, I, I just think for the long-term health popularity of the game and, you know, running down the line, I, I think there needs to be a, a long-term plan. So, you know, that's, that's down the road still, but hopefully, you know, hopefully the way that they work together on this can, can set up some parameters where they can, you know, can come to an agreement without, without any kind of a stoppage. I mean, I'm not naive enough to say it's probably not going to come down to the 11th hour because it's just, that's the way negotiations tend to go, but hope, but hopefully, you know, they, they can learn from, you know, their own past situations, but also, also with major league baseball and the major league baseball players association is doing, because this is just, this is not the way to go about it. All they're doing is just, you know, they're, they're angering the fans of the game. They're angering the public, you know, that, that supports the game to where, 
you know, you, you don't, it's almost, it's almost like we don't want to hear from you uh, until the game start again. And you, and you don't, you know, you don't want that. You want, you want a sense of progress and optimism. Yeah. Especially in these uh, very unique uh, circumstances and what's going on in our world right now, uh, more than ever, uh, people aren't going to, you know, really feel bad for billionaires fighting with millionaires at this point. And, and, and you're right. And it's funny because, you know, it's just back and forth of, you know, trying to shift the public opinion. And ultimately that doesn't matter. Get a deal done and uh, don't waste your time uh, lobbying and via the media and public it just doesn't seem to work. But let's get to this article, Bill, because this is uh, one of the key reasons why the Flyers are one point behind the Capitals through uh, 69 games. And, and this point in the season where they paused it, is it, is, there's a lot of elements to it, depth scoring and power play and coaching and shorter shifts by guys. You, you brought that up before as well. But one of the key things, an area of improvements, is the power play. So let's start kind of with uh, the, the players that are being used on the power play uh, and some of the players they brought in and really how that's affected the efficacy of the PK. Well, yeah, I mean, the, on, the, on the PK side of it, Bringing in bringing Kevin Hayes um, has, has been I said a, power play to diamond PK. No, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, no problem. No, but I mean Kevin Hayes plays plays both ends of special teams. You know, bringing in guys like Kevin Hayes and and Tyler Pitlick, you know they 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 were able to somewhat reduce the the workload on Sean Couturier and significantly reduce the workload on on Claude Giroux. So that's uh, you know I mean now now there's been a, a long pause in the league, but. Had the playoffs started on a regular, you know, on a regular uh, April basis, you know, Giroux would have been fresher for the start of the playoffs. That was that was a big big thing because though, you know, a lot of penalty killing is hard work. Those are really hard minutes, you know. And and with uh, Claude now on the other side of thirty, you do have to be careful with how you manage his minutes. And the and you know, you're not just replacing with bodies either. You're replacing with some with some really good penalty killers. Um, yeah, Skin has been a huge addition. Bringing Justin Braun has been been a big addition on, on the back end, and you know the the two guys the two guys they brought in. Also, I thought that you know I thought that Scott Lawton continued to evolve as a penalty killer, and he had a really good year on the PK too. So the you know on the personnel side, they've definitely upgraded the people that were available. That was that's been you know one big piece of it. And the other piece of it, of course, is the uh, the tactics and execution. Yeah, and then and you couple those additions that you just alluded to with guys like Sean Couturier and Ivan Provorov, who are so good defensively and, and do such a good job on the PK, and both of those guys in such great physical conditions on the younger side of 30 in their career, Provorov more so than Couturier, uh, but can log those minutes and, and be effective at both ends of the ice uh, when you're not on the PK as well. Um, the element of goaltending when it comes to uh, penalty killing is always a huge thing. You look at you know, you look at goalies five on five save percentage and you use that as a barometer. But the ability for a goaltender to make those really difficult cross ice pass saves is something that Carter Hart and Brian Elliott are good at. And that's a big element, too, isn't it? Oh, no question. You know, if you just go only by save percentage, you know, they're neither neither of the Flyers goalies has a great penalty killing save percentage. But there, there are reasons for that. Um, to me, the number one reason is that the Flyers simply don't allow a lot of shots. The Flyers mm-hmm. have given up the fewest shots in the NHL this year. So, you know, on a on a kill, um, you know, you're going to have a certain number of chances. You're just not going to stop. And if you're seeing, you know, if you're seeing fewer shots in volume, I mean, the Flyers have had a tactical change this year where they're really pressuring the puck as opposed to, you know, pr- 
stacking their their guys over the middle to take away the, the passing lanes and they were conceding shots well you know you see a, a smaller sample of shots and one goes in it's going to pull your percentage down a little bit uh, i think when the big saves that have been makeable have been there both goalies have come up with it I, I think when you break it down further when you look at those high danger chances on, on the kill actually you know the flyers goalies rank up there in, in the the saves that they've made particularly over pretty much every month but december you know december was a little bit of a rough month for the pk but every other month it's been really solid and the you know the, the element of goaltending has been there and two you know even though even though the uh you, know, you can break down save percentages by situation. It's still an overall picture of the comfort you have playing in front of your goalies. And overall, Carter Hart and Brian Elliott have been so solid that the you know they are able to play a little bit more aggressively on the PK, knowing that if there is you know there is a breakdown and and a chance develops, there's a good chance their goalie will make the save. So it's you know it's not just a a flat save percentage number on on the kill. I think you look at the overall picture, and the overall picture of the goaltending, it's been one of the strengths of the team. Bill, another one of the big equations and elements of penalty killing is possession and that initial possession. You dove into the face-off dominance that is the Flyers, whether that's Claude Giroux, Sean Couturier. You know, you bring in a guy in Derek Grant who can take draws as well, uh, on one side of the ice better than the other. But uh, that being said, they're a team— uh, from a face-off standpoint, and if you can win that initial face-off in your zone and get that initial clear, that, that's a great start and gives you a little bit of almost momentum from a PK perspective. No question. I mean, the Flyers, the Flyers even last year were a very good face-off team, and that that played in over the latter part of the year. I mean, one of the things when you looked at last year, the, the PK was so bad until that Thanksgiving weekend where it was a, it was like. Under 70%. I, I don't know the exact number. It was around 68%. And they spent the rest of the year trying to pull it up. They were 82% the rest of the year, which is about what they were. It's about where they've been this season for the whole season, though, not for three quarters of a season, for a whole season. So, you know, I, I think that some of that started a year ago. But, uh, I mean, you know, you win the draw, but you also gotta you also got to successfully clear the zone. And that's something they've, they've been able to combine those two things of, of – being even better on draws than they were a year ago. Um, you know, particularly, uh, they have, they have any number of guys that can win faceoffs. I mean, Lawton's been really good on draws mm, this year. Couturier is one of the best in the league. You know, when they need Giroux for a key faceoff in the right circle, he's pretty automatic in winning them. Um, and then they added a guy like Nate Thompson, who, you know, penalty killing is his, his main role. And he's, he's a very good faceoff guy too. So they've been winning draws. They've been getting that immediate clear. So other teams can't get set up. And boy, they have been really, really, really good in challenging, um, you know, in the neutral zone and, and especially at their own blue line, preventing other teams from even getting set up. They swarm the strong side, which is, of course, is the side that the puck is on, and they get easy clears over and over and over again. So a lot of times other teams can't get set up or they, they can't get the, the looks that they want. And that's, uh, you know, that's three quarters of the battle right there. Um, you know, they, they get... The Flyers as a team don't block a ton of shots compared to other teams in the league, but it seems like get the big blocks when they need them. Um, you know, and uh, you know it, it all it all works out. I mean, if you can if you can keep your penalty kill most months of the season over over that eighty percent, eighty two percent. Flyers have even had I think an eighty six percent month this this season. You know, then um, they said they had the one pretty pretty rough month in December, which is just a rough month in general for the team with everything that was going on, you know, the new 
news with Oscar, a really tough road trip coming at just about the worst possible time, that that rough stretch right after Christmas. So all those figured into those numbers for December. But the rest of the year, you know, the, the all the pieces have been pretty well working in sync. And they've, they've had good health, too. That's helped. Yeah, no, that that core of penalty killers, and and you got some depth there too. So if you find yourself in a situation where you got to roll out the PK quite a bit, uh, you have a lot of guys that you can go to. the The other element too, Bill, and you just talked about it about not letting the team obtain the zone. Um, rarely or rarely in the past couple of years were they a team that pseudo dictated on the penalty kill. But now with that pressure, you almost dictate and, and you're, you're trying to force the puck into the teeth of where you want it to go. And it's worked out. Um, and not letting that team just, you know, enter the zone and set up is a huge difference. That's a, that's a game changer. But I, but I ask you about this because I don't know if there's a way to quantify this other than I don't know if there's an analytical way, but there, there's certainly the eye test way to, to quantify what killing penalties means to a team, especially key points in games. You know, if you can kill off a team with a good power play like Washington, and they did such a good job against Ovechkin this year um, in the games they played against Washington. Um, when you're able to kill that, uh, what kind of momentum does that provide the team? Because, um, you know, a key, a key penalty kill at a key time can propel a team to get back on, if they don't have momentum at that point in the game, to get back on it and, and start dictating the terms of the hockey game again. Oh, no question. It's the mirror image of a of a power play. When you think about, you know, you have a big power play opportunity in, in, in the course of a game, a five on three, or even one where you can tie a game or, or go ahead, you know, where you, you really need a goal in that situation. You know, if you don't score, you at least want to generate a lot of pressure and, you know, start the next, start the next shift attacking, even if you don't score on it. And what happens if, you know, even if you strung together several really good shifts at five on five, you, you draw that penalty. And you do nothing with it. You spend the whole time trying to skate, uh, you know, going back in your own zone, starting behind your net, skating up, never gaining the zone, never getting set up to anything meaningful, maybe one harmless shot from the point over two minutes. What happens? It kills momentum, right? And it's the reverse. Of, it's the reverse on, on the kill. You know, you, you kill a penalty with authority um, or, you know, or to five on three, you, you bend, but don't break. And you get, you get through those two minutes and, you know, you, you get your next line out. It can it can absolutely 100 percent create momentum and and in big games against uh, top rivals that can win or lose you that game. Yeah. And not being able to score or generate any pressure on a power play is deflating for the team that just uh, failed on that power play. And, and it certainly ha- has an impact. Bill, the other element we've talked about uh, the depth of this team all season long. And we're talking about the guys, you know, the defensive core. Uh, with the additions of Braun and Niskanen added to Sanheim and the, the development of Myers and Sanheim together, and then uh, Robert Haig, and then also obviously with Proveroff, and then all that depth you have up front. If you're on the PK a lot, it tends to disrupt the rhythm of a bench. Uh, but with this depth that they have, where they have four lines that can A, score, and provide pressure, and four check, then it's a lot less disruptive because you have more options if you are on the PK an incessant amount in the game, it just gives you a lot more flexibility to, to be able to, to kind of handle the situation and move forward from it. Oh, no question. If, if you look at, um, you know, the flyers, the ice times on, on penalty kills, they work a lot of guys into it over the course of a game. You know, um, I mean, I didn't even mention Michael Roffel's name, but he still is, he still regularly yep. kills penalties. Um, he said Lawton's become an important penalty killer. Um, 
this year, if you look where Travis Sanheim was never uh, really a penalty kill guy until this season. He's playing over a minute on PK, you know, this season on, under Vino and Yo. So, you know, they're they're working more defensemen. They're working more forwards into the rotation. And therefore, if you have to kill, you know, you don't want to you want to spend too much time, no matter who you have on the kill. But but if you have a game where you need five or or six kills in the game, rather than wearing down your your PK personnel, rather than getting you know, guys cold on the bench where they're, they're out of the mix. Yeah, you, you, you work more guys into that rotation where you need them for a shift. And it also doesn't hurt you as much if you, you know, if one of your penalty killers just happens to be the guy in the box, too. You have other guys you can rely on to help kill that penalty. I mean, all of that, you know, that, that, that depth and that, that ability to um, plug different players into situations as you need them. You know, the next man up mentality is to who's in your roster, you know, in, in a game. I mean, it, it, it's huge, and that's something that um, plays into why the Flyers are, you know, much better at five on five, and why they're so good in third period. So there's many reasons. It's not just not just one, but having having that depth of personnel you can draw uh, upon in, in many different situations, including the PK, is is definitely a, a big reason why the Flyers have been a much better team and a harder team to play against. Yeah, my goalie mindset tells me, you know, when uh, you're in the third period, you have a one goal lead. And you're inside the final 10 minutes of the game, and you go on the PK. And if one of one of these two players is the one that took the penalty, uh, the goalie mentality man goes, "Oh man, it's got to had to be one of those guys." If it's Couturier or Provorov, the <laughs> goalie will sit there and look at that and go, "Man, my best PK guy's in the box." <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> but but with having that depth, uh, you got it's next man up. You got to get the job done, and they have. <laughs> oh, absolutely, and and I think probably, and it happened early in the season. You set that tone early in the season, but, but the, uh, the home opener where the, uh, you know, where Carter Hart made probably the save of the season on Taylor Hall, uh, who were the two guys in the box? It was Couturier and it was Kevin Hayes. Hayes took the penalty, you know, for a face-off violation right after Couturier's in the box. And you're thinking, "Uh uh-oh, you know, (laughs) really thinking, "Uh uh-oh, it was a one goal game at that point too, you know? And, um, yeah, I mean, to have, to have other personnel step up and your goalie make that, 10 bell save. I mean, that just, uh, that just lifts an entire bench. I mean, and obviously it brings fans into the game too. So yeah, I mean, sometimes you, you do in those key situations, if, if, you know, one of your key guys is the guy in the box, it hurts, but at least, at least there are some options there where you can, you can get through that kill. You know, a guy like Lawton, for example, could step up and, you know, uh, skate a little extra time on that kill. And, and you're still, you know, in decent shape. Uh, what's the role of Mike Yo uh, in the PK? Because um, uh, he's a big part of it, obviously, and 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 working it and and every element of it. Uh, what's how how instrumental has that role been uh, with a guy like Mike Yo? It's been it's been huge, you know. Um, again, some of these some of these improvements started last year when Scott Gordon was the head coach and Ian Laperriere was still running the PK. So in, in the second half of the season, there were elements of some of the changes they made that were, were carried over. But I, I think that, um, you know, I think, yo, he's very experienced at running the, even though he was, you know, he runs a defenseman and in, in, in the PK, he was a defensive forward, but he runs, you know, he runs the, uh, the blue line and then the PK, you know, he had a lot of success, um, as an assistant coach doing, doing specialty teams. And, uh, I think people forget, you can take it even back to when he was with, uh, uh, with Pittsburgh and the, this is when the penguins were still at the bottom of the league, you know, and they were still, still 
probably the worst team in the NHL, but he came in as an assistant coach and they were like 70% on the PK the year before he came in. The next year he had him at 82. Nothing. Whoa. Yeah. yeah. Not, nothing else worked well for the Penguins that first year. They were still a, a really poor team, but you know, the one thing they did improve on was the PK and then they carried it, you know, and then of course everything else clicked in a year after that. He know he knows how to coach a penalty kill and, uh, you know, had a lot, has a lot of experience doing it. Most of his teams, even when he was the head coach, are, were pretty good on the PK. So, you know, I, I think that, um, you know, I, I think that the players like working with him. They like working. They like working with Lappy too. Who, you know, at least, you know, he does. He does the pre-scouting side. So, he, so even then, there's some influence with Lappy in terms of looking at teams' tendencies on the power play, and um, you know, being being prepared in that way. But I mean, I, I think Mike Yo has been been a huge addition to the coaching staff. On and uh, you know, I think the PK is one of the number one areas that you can look at, as well as as well as the way that the uh, the defensive pairings have clicked too. And of course, that has a PK element to it as well. But I think that you know, showing confidence, for example, I mentioned like in, in Sanheim as one of the penalty killers, or or before you know, before his diagnosis, Oscar Lindblom uh, was a was a key PK guy for the team. You know, and and when when Oscar went down and wasn't available, they, you know, they, they worked around it. I, I think, I think those workarounds and the, the personnel and the uh, rhythm and consistency that's developed. I mean, you have to look at uh, not just your head coach, but the assistant coach in that as well. And, you know, I think Mike Yo has done a tremendous job in his first season in that regard. Yeah, totally agree. And uh, everybody's got to go check out the article. Uh, you got video clips that you posted on Twitter uh, and the examples thereof on there as well. It's a great uh, very, the deep dive piece on the on the PK. And, and again, a big reason why uh, the Flyers have uh, uh, had the success this season that they have built. Uh, great job on the piece, man. It was awesome to read. And we got some new stuff coming up as well. And uh, we appreciate you joining us here on Flyers Daily as always. And uh, I urge everybody to go check it out. All right, man. Thanks to Bill Meltzer for joining us. Yeah, the, the, the penalty kill for the Flyers has been such a difference maker uh, for this team. It was one of those, uh, you know, really in the second half of last season, it improved under Scott Gordon, but a market improvement this entire season. And then you have a player in Kevin Hayes who's got four uh, penalty kill, shorthanded goals as well, and that's huge uh, for this team, uh, the Philadelphia Flyers. And that's something that you're going to need, another element of the game that you're going to need in the playoffs along with depth, depth scoring, going to have to have a good power play. They certainly have the tools for that as well. But uh, check out that piece on PhiladelphiaFlyers.com that Bill Meltzer wrote. Uh, it's a good one for sure. Uh, this podcast, Flyers Daily, brought to you by Yingling Traditional Lager. Hey, Philly fans, grab a cold Yingling and elevate your taste because this isn't just a beer. It's a Yingling Lager. It's time to spread your wings, Yingling Traditional Lager, and give them a follow on Twitter at Yingling Beer. So players coming back into town. One of those players that is back in town and working out at the Flyers Skate Zone in the informal skates is Nicholas Albay-Kubel. What a year he has had. Big surprise uh, to a lot of Flyers fans, really having a very good season and providing the aforementioned depth scoring that the Flyers have gotten uh, great production out of their bottom line, the fourth line, uh, all season long. And he's been a big part of that. After he got off the ice yesterday, PR director Zach Hill had a chance to catch up with him and ask him how his skates are going. All right, we're speaking with Nicholas. Uh, Nicholas, when did you arrive? Uh, all right, uh, last Tuesday. And uh, when did you first time on the ice? Uh, I skated on Friday after mm. I got tested for the uh, COVID. And then uh, this week is my first week of, uh, of uh, full training. And great. How was it uh, being on, a, on the ice with some familiar faces? Uh, it was unreal. I missed the boys. I missed skating with them. Uh, it was good practicing, uh, hard practice, uh, getting, getting ready for the camp. All right. Uh, what was your biggest adjustment adjustment going from the Phantoms to the Flyers? 
Uh, you talk about last year? Yes. Um, yes. And then I spent almost four years in the AHL uh, perfecting my game. I, I thought I think I was ready uh, since the last two years, and I didn't get my my chance. And uh, this year, I'm really glad I got the, the chance to play with the team. I got some uh, good ice time, and uh, I think I took the best uh, of my opportunity. Do you feel that you're in the NHL to stay now? Uh, it's hard to, to say that because I only played half the season, but uh, for sure I'll I'll see after the playoffs. Uh, hopefully I want to make a, a, a statement in, into those playoffs, get my spot for next year, and uh, yeah. You made the most of your fourth line minutes. Um, was there any point that made you feel like you belonged? Uh, I mean, like physically, and like I, I think I've been there uh, for a while. But having like the, the the fans and the offense that I used to have, like more like in towards junior. I mean, it's, it, it was harder for me to in the AHL to have a to stand out. I mean. And I feel like in the NHL, it's uh, it's easier to like focus on on one uh, task and focus on one job, and then just do simple stuff, and then like look look good on the ice for that. All right, uh, moving on. The Flyers had some strong momentum before the pause. Do you think this will be easy or difficult to carry over once this uh, season starts back up? Uh, that's a good question. I I think a lot of our players are naturally gifted. Uh, that's going to for sure be a plus for us uh, through the playoffs. Like, I mean, a lot of guys are don't take like just take a few months or like a few weeks to get back in shape and get ready to be uh, in, intense as, as playoffs are. So I, I'm I'm counting on on that, and I know that their coach are going to be uh, on us. And even though it's not like a a thing where they have like a experience, but I feel like our coach are. They're going to be for sure uh, ready and make the team ready. Perfect. Um, what do you think about, how do I say this, about living in a bubble once the season starts? We're going to be, you know, in one hub city and, you know, it's going to be pretty pretty private. What do you think about that? Uh, throughout my career, I mean, I've, I've already been on a bubble. <laughs> I've played the, like seven hours from my hometown with like a, in a small town, not even much to do. So I mean, for sure, I'm going to bring my Xbox and my my deck of cards to play with the with the boys. But I mean, I'm kind of excited for that just to get back in that hockey environment. And last question: What do you think about the round robin tournament and the playoff format in general? That's a really good idea. So we can uh, we can see and we can like adjust their game because it would have been bad if I think that. All the other team has uh, has games through, throughout the first round, and then we we get there uh, like cold or without like playing any games. So I I really think it's going to be uh, emotional and it's going to be a good uh, good rivalry. Great to hear from players in the last couple of episodes. Sean Couturier, we heard from Joel Farabee off the ice uh, after working out at the skate zone, and here in this episode, Nicholas Albay Kubel. Look for more of that coverage here on Flyers Daily going forward. So thanks to Zach Hill for providing that sound uh, with Nicholas Albay Kubel. Thanks to Bill Meltzer for joining us here on Flyers Daily. In the meantime, it's weekend time, but we're back Monday with another episode and another couple of days closer to the NHL returning and Phase 3 protocol, which is three weeks from this day, Friday, the 19th of June. Flyers Daily brought to you by Yingling Traditional Lager. Spread your wings. Give them a follow on Twitter at Yingling Beer. Have a great weekend, everybody. Stay healthy, and we'll talk to you Monday on the next episode of Flyers Daily.